My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Skylar Brown. I feel really lucky that uh, we found our way to each other through some nice synergies, which, by the way, as an aside, uh, the attentive to synergies and, and sort of what's emerging in the moment is part of Skylar's gift to the world. Uh, and we explore that a bit in our conversation. But she is a dear friend of David Sauvage, past guest on the show. And she co-facilitated a beautiful sacred ceremony for one of my dear friends, Elizabeth, who is navigating uh, some, some challenges with cancer. And Elizabeth recommended Skylar to me and Skylar heard David on the show and said, yes, I'd love to talk. And what's more, the, the previous episode, if you listened to the episode just before this, episode uh, 68, I believe, was with uh, Azima Jackson, who is Elizabeth's mom. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, if you're hearing this, you've got a twofer, uh, back-to-back wins on two amazing recommendations, your mom and, and now Skylar. And Skylar brings in this wonderful, urgent, yet grounded commitment to our future as a species and to what might be possible for us if we're willing to face and meet the truths of reality that we numb ourselves to. And so her work is deeply trauma informed. It's deeply informed by nature and by the way in which nature unfolds and opens. It's deeply connected to this planet earth from which we all come from and which we will all return to. And it is a wonderfully clear-eyed, open-hearted, grounded approach to spirituality and identity that I trust you'll get a taste of as, as you listen to Skylar and I speak today. And if you stick around towards the end in the last uh, 15 minutes or so, uh, I kind of in the moment was inspired to invite Skylar to lead us in a meditation. And she does so beautifully in a way that connects body and heart and mind to to the earth and to future possibilities. So if you are at all sitting with this question of what it means to wake up or what it means to, to encounter your pain rather than run from it or to, or to, to enliven yourself rather than numb yourself. Or if you just have this kind of sense that something's off and you're not sure what, this space that Skylar helps create today and that she helps create in her work is a space for you. If you're at all an inquiry about who you are and, and where you might be going, this space is a space of inquiry for you. And I hope that you'll get in touch with the really provocative way Skylar is asking all of us to wake up 
and the really humble way in which she's actually drawing from a beautifully long lineage of human beings all along the way who've been asking us to wake up, to wake up, to wake up. So let's get settled in and hear what Skylar has for us. Hi, Skylar. Hi, Andy. Welcome. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you so much. Good to be here. It's really good to be here. I'm, uh, I'm excited that we got connected. We had a chance to talk, I don't even know, a couple months ago. And mm-hmm. it feels like as, as is often the case, perhaps as is always the case, life keeps shifting and unfolding and a lot has, has shifted and changed and evolved. I know you've just come back from a long trip and there's just a lot of energy in the air right now that related to this question of the pandemic and our collective healing and our collective pain. And yeah, I appreciate in particular in the, in the short time we've had together, I really encounter you as someone who is holding space for that um, in a way that doesn't sort of shy away. I sense your willingness to kind of look directly at the complexity and the challenge, even if it's hard or painful. Ooh, that feels good. <laughs> it's that feels true. That that is that is my way in the world. And for you to see that or feel that feels really good. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I'm glad you're here uh, with that in mind because I think the the show is, you know, I call it the Wonder Dome because. I have a sense in my own lived experience and journey that wonder is perhaps one of the most meaningful and useful orientations for engaging with reality that, that we have as a species that, that it can anchor us in the sort of paradox that we're both wildly insignificant on this vast cosmic scale in which we inhabit. And at the same time, wildly beautiful and unique and, have this capacity to to connect and create in ways that are really remarkable and beautiful. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, from the limited vantage I have, when I look out, I often feel like our society and the world we built for ourselves doesn't really care a lot about wonder. doesn't really know what to do with wonder. Mm. Uh, doesn't really know what to do with these kinds of questions of who we are and where we come from and where we're going that, that really enlivened me. And it seems to me having not, you know, worked with you in a deep, deep way, but it seems to me that you and your own way are really like helping people attend to those, those big meaningful questions Mm. in a way that's like alive and true for them and meaningful for them. Yeah. I mean, what, what, uh, when you say wonder, I, and you, and I think it's true that adults, we'll say adults because I think children are still in touch with wonder. Yes. Um, But we lose our contact with it, right? We lose our access to that state of being. And I'd say that that's an embodiment issue. I mean, from where I'm sitting, because you feel wonder, right? It's a Mm. like wonder is Mm. an experience of the body, right? Otherwise it's curiosity or it's appreciation. I mean, there, there can be thoughts that go with wonder, but like the real experience of wonder when you have it is a fully embodied experience. Uh, And so, you know, 
as, as you know, my work being so much centered around embodiment and the body um, and the wisdom of the body, that's just where I go first. And yeah. is that as we exit the body and jump into the, like, you know, over index on the mental over index mm. on the rational mm. over index on needing data to prove points on logic and, you know, all of these wonderful tools that we have as human beings, but we over index and then we lose the access to so many of the sublime mm. Mm. human states of experience. Um, I mean, like the things like the romantic poets were writing about, you know, it's like the Keats and the Yates and these like, you know, sitting in nature and marveling at a waterfall or a bird singing in the tree and, you know, just the spaciousness too. like, we're missing the key ingredients for wonder. So um, that you're bringing it back into focus is, makes me a fan of your work. Thank you. Well, I love you. Just, you just named something uh, so self-evident and yet I, I don't know that I've actually articulated it out loud that yeah, wonder is a felt lived experience, right? It can be thought provoking to talk about a big idea, but to actually like experience the particular way the sun shines through the clouds at sunset and realize that the sun is a star, one among trillions that's floating in the vastness of space that like saying that is not the same as feeling that. And when I felt that it just almost brings me to my knees. Yeah. Uh, The, the beauty and the sublimeness of that. So yeah, thanks for anchoring us right away. And the fact that it's in our bodies first. So um, I guess, you know, we were sort of talking about before we started recording, you just kind of went on a trip and a part of me was like, wow, you went on a trip. Like, I haven't been on a trip yet. And I know, you know, I know there's such a wide variety. I know I've talked to people who've been traveling, like haven't stopped traveling. I've talked to people who've gone deep into seclusion. Uh, I've talked to people who are going crazy and wishing they could get out and, 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 but aren't for the, for a variety of reasons. So, but I sense that you are like navigating this thresholds and entering into the wider world in a way that you, that you haven't in the past year and that it, provoked and evoked a lot for you uh, this, yeah. this past like 10 or 15 days. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So it's funny when you said you've been on a trip, I was like, I feel like every day is a bit of a trip. <laughs> 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 so I was like, it was just funny. That word was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's trippy experience life right now. It's, it's like I'm tripping all the time. Um Yeah. So I went on an actual journey. I got on an airplane and flew across this country to the other side from New York to California. Um, Yeah, it was super intense. I mean, as you mentioned, um, I've been living on a farm, so I have been in seclusion since March 2020 Mm. um, relative. I mean, I'm upstate New York and I have know, light social engagement. And I live here on the farm with a few other folks, but nature has been the primary partner really Mm -hmm. through all of this. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just had this experience, um, last, I guess it was now a couple of weeks ago when I went to the airport and I left before light, you know, it was dark out. The car picked me up. I had to drive to, to, uh, LaGuardia and, 
I got there and I was like, all right, I can handle this. I'm double masked up, you know, and I'm like washing my hands constantly and I feel safe. And then we got off the plane in Charlotte airport, which is a big hub. And I had a layover and it was like, I spent an hour. That was where I was tripping. Mm. I was in the Charlotte airport with seas of people washing like I was, I felt like a salmon swimming upstream for whatever reason I was going the opposite direction from the majority of people. And so I was watching all of these faces come towards me and I could just see that they were sleeping. It was just a sea of sleepwalking people. And, uh, and at first it was like, I would rub, it's like, you want to rub your eyes. Like, it's like a mirage. It's like, no, no, no. The people are awake. They can't be sleepwalking. And I tried that for a while. And then I just, and I got, I felt very uncomfortable with something like this always happens to me before I have an insight that there's like a a tweak in the system that feels like, ah, like something is like, really, like, I don't want this to break through. There's something coming that some part of me has wanted to not know for a while. And it came up, I just relaxed into that. And all of a sudden I was like, no, 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 they are asleep. You need to see this. Like, this is what, what we, and I would would refer to my guides, my lineage, those, you know, beings, you know, subtle realms that are helping me. They were like, open your eyes and look at the Mm -hmm. situation, like really look at the state of things. And, um, yeah, so I spent that layover in a bit of an existential crisis. Uh, I, I I find that airports are such an interesting place for that kind of thing anyway, because they're liminal space, right? Yeah. No one's where they actually belong. Everybody's in the in-between state. And that's where we really, that's where we are. I mean, I was like, this is like a microcosm to the macrocosm hmm. of what's going on right now. Like right now in the Charlotte airport, all of these beings are in the state of limbo and it is so deeply uncomfortable that they're sleepwalking through it. We've mm. numbed out. We're numbing mm. out. And on the collective, we're in this liminal phase of our rite of passage. Like we're in the middle space, you know, where, it, where we've left the previous shore. There's no going back and we can't yet see where we're going. So we're all kind of like finding ways to navigate this very, mm precarious Mm. kind of situation. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was the trip of, of my, that was my trip. That was the trip of your trip. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing that it did for me, I will say like, uh, you know, I felt a lot of compassion and I felt a lot of urgency. Mm. I, Mm. I said to you, I was like, I think it really made me feel like it's go time. Like I'm doubling down, like all the energy that I have is being poured into service. Like, how can I help? What can I do? You know, how can I show up? How can I stay awake? It's like that Rumi poem that's so beautiful. Like, don't go back to sleep. We'll have to find it. But it's like the the threshold is round and open people are passing back and forth across um you know something the last line is don't go back to sleep mm-hmm. and so let's let's find that right now let's find i'm going to pause the recording okay. and I, yeah if you can find that poem i think we should just hear Great. 
I can find. Okay, this is Rumi. Don't go back to sleep. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It kind of sums up my experience of the Charlotte Airport. <laughs> yeah, that's the people are going back and forth. Yeah. Well, people like us and and probably your listeners, I think people who are trying to rekindle wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it just feels like there's a there's a real a request is the word that's coming to me. I don't know mm. who's making the request, but a request in that. Mm. You described this moment when you were telling, um, you know, of your experience in the airport where you were aware of a part of you that just like didn't, and this wasn't your language. My language is, is maybe like, didn't really want to wake up fully to the fact that everyone was asleep. Like there's a bit of that. I heard a bit in you of like, Oh, just like, I don't want to see it. And, and because of the work you do and because of the, the sort of parts of yourself and to the, of life that you listen to, there was a willingness to ask that part to step back and really surrender and really see. And it strikes me in a way that like that you described your own inner process by which you, we might, what all of us might begin to wake up like that. There's, ways in which for probably very good reasons, parts of us don't want us to face or see what it is there is to face or see. And so we let that part quiet us. We let that part numb. We let that part repress or hide or have us look in a different direction. And, uh, and most of us don't even, it happens so fast that most of us don't even notice that we're looking in another direction or staying asleep. And yeah, I wonder, is that right? Like, am I c connecting a dot here? And maybe we could talk more about that moment where of listening that you were, that you had access to that, that maybe if more of us had access to, there might, something might shift. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you point that out. Yeah. Again, it's like the microcosm to the macrocosm, right? It's yeah. like right there. That's it. Yeah. I, um, I, I, what you describe is really accurate. You just, that was beautifully said that we numb out. Like, why are the people asleep? Because it's too much, you know, there's something that's overwhelming the system. Um, I was experiencing that moment in the airport as the collective trauma field. Mm. So it really felt like people were moving through as fog like couldn't literally couldn't see. And, um, and that is, I've known intellectually, like I work with trauma. So I know the trauma field I've, I have come up against, I've experienced the trauma field myself, but I've never seen it. Yeah. I never, I'd never seen it before. And it was like really mind blowing to actually see it. And I think what was hard for me in that moment was the responsibility Mm. that comes with the seeing. And um, I think it's different for everyone. You know, like we all have different things that we need to see, you know, mm. things that are in the shadow or buried or suppressed. And um, 
you know, sometimes what we need to see will change us. Sometimes what we need to see will require us to change some aspect of our life, like a relationship or a job or a, a habit or an addiction. I mean, there, it's like, there's just a sensing, there's a knowing that we can't continue the way we were before when we see. Mm. Um, and I, that was what I was coming up against. I was like, if I really, now let's move, this really moves me. I, I can feel that I like tears come. If I really see this, like if I really allow in, how desperate the situation is right now for people, then I have to do something about it. Mm. And mm. that, I don't even know what that's going to require yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that was what was happening for me. So I have a lot of compassion. I mean, my, it's like, I, I always say in the healing journey, it's like, once you start doing, especially the trauma work, you begin to understand why people don't do it. Like I have a lot of, a lot of compassion, a lot of sympathy, a lot of empathy. Like I get it, you know, it's really, really, really hard to look at what's really going on within yourself, within your culture, within your family, within your relationships. And um, so I, I understand why people, why we numb out and mm. I can catch myself when I'm starting to do it. Um, but that's my whole, I mean, that's the whole thing. Like that's what I'm committed to and dedicated to is not doing that in myself and then not bringing that into my relationships and uh, spending most of my time with people who are also committed to living that way, because that's how we make a new culture, mm. right? Like mm. that's how we wake up together. It's like, oh, new norms, you know, new ways of communicating what's going on with me, what's going on, on in my body, new ways of sharing pain, new ways of being vulnerable with each other, um, holding each other. And I think it really like it, it does, Andy, like it takes it. We have to press the pause button um, <laughs> because the speed is killing us. Yeah, that really hits me as one of the traps we've created for ourselves is that the speed just keeps accelerating. We keep getting more and more pressure to go faster, make more consume more, read more, take in more, argue more. Like it's just this like more and faster, more and faster pace that. And one of the most common pushbacks I, that I experience inside of myself and also in relation with others, like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you know? Like it's just become such an easy, safe, powerful defense to facing anything. It's like, where am I going to find the time for that? I must, I missed all the other ways that we might numb ourselves. So yeah, I just want to like underline that. that Absolutely. Quickening pace and then that I'm curious what, you know, what we're doing with our time. <laughs> like, what are we, yeah. What are we doing with our time? Oof. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could, if you could sort of 
I, part of me is in touch with the kind of, um, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Anthony DeMello. He was, uh, I believe a Jesuit priest who, but who like drew from and spoke from a number of different wisdom traditions. And, you know, he sort of was a very playful provocateur, uh, in terms of holding group space. And one of the things he said a lot was something like, uh, you know, people who are asleep don't want to be told they're asleep mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, people who have like to put it in, in the language I'm sort of sensing from you, people who have pain that they can face and heal from don't want to be told that they have pain that they could face and heal from that. There's something, uh, there's something in particular about this paradox of having in your hand or in your heart or in your awareness, a possibility for someone else and facing the, the boundary that they've created that makes it like the more that you try and share that possibility of them, the more that they retreat and defend. And, and so I'm like, and, and I'm aware on one side, a part of me is aware that there's a kind of put, and I'll speak, speak just for myself. There's a, a potential risk for kind of arrogance of being like, I know what you need kind of mm -hmm. energy. But on the flip side, there's also this awareness of like, I know what you need. And mm -hmm. it's right here. Right. And I just wonder, like, I'm curious how you hold that, if that pair, if that kind of tension, if you relate to it and how you hold it, because I would love to explore like, yeah, what are we doing with our time and what could we be doing with our time from that place of like real love and compassion and tenderness that I sense you, you stand for. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there was a time earlier in my healing journey where I felt uh, and I see this in other people too. It was like early on, I felt like I had found a medicine yeah. that I wanted to share with everyone. And I yeah. did try to sort of push it on people like my parents, for example, you know, <laughs> or, um, you, you know, you see it also when people have sort of like gotten onto a spiritual path and it really, things are starting to shift for them. And of course you want to share it like that. It like, that feels like the right impulse, um, but it can get a little, uh, it's just, it comes across it, like as pushy or um, you will come up against that resistance in people. Like, I don't need you to tell me what I need. I don't, I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. I got this. I've, I've long passed that. I'd say I don't push anything on anyone, not in public, not in private, not in client sessions, not in um, you know, paid gigs, not in airports. Um, cause I mean, I would do that too. You know, at the beginning, when I began to have the capacity, like when I could sense into people and feel what they were feeling, I, the, you know, I had this mistaken idea that I needed to sense into and feel everybody's pain and make sure they were okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. That is for me just not yet a fully ripened healer. And there's a big uh, ethical question of consent for one. Um, so one, I'm going to have to have consent. I'm not going to, I mean, I put my, my work out there in the form of writing and classes and um, I don't even really, I'm a really terrible advertiser, partly because of this, you know, I don't, it's like, 
build it and they will come a little bit. Mm. I really trust the attractive power. It's like, if people hear me or read something that I've written and it speaks to them, then I am, you know, they are welcome to come get more. Um, And, you know, I'm always making sure that the agreements are clear as far as like doing healing with someone. Um, And then the other thing is there are plenty of people who want it. Mm. plenty of people. Like I realized that I was like, you know, I used to work in the corporate world, for example, and I was trying to bridge spirituality into the corporate world. And there was in those days, a lot of me showing up and like, so really genuinely confused, like baffled about why people couldn't hear or uh, receive what I had to give and I ended up really banging my head against the wall. I mean, I, mm. I came up against that resistance over and over and over and over. And I had to reach a point in myself where I valued what I was offering so much that I was like, oh, God, I got something amazing going on over here. Like, if you like come, come over here if you want, you know, like if you can see it and you can feel it, come be with me. Um, but I'm not going to continue to waste my time trying to change people or institutions that are not ready for it. Mm. And it's funny to say that just one more, one more piece, because last night on the plane, I found a piece of writing that I did like a decade ago. Um, and it was transcriptions of me working with my first mystical teacher and, um, like real teacher, and he was super harsh. He was mm. like, very no nonsense, very tough love. And I found this passage where he was telling me I was lazy. And um, and I have verbatim. And so I can really recall the moment, but it was like a different person he was speaking to. Um, and I didn't, I was resisting. I, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to see it. I was protesting. He was just like not having the protest and he kind of like towards the end of the passage he reaches me but I was just after reading it I was like oh there it is in me you know there it was like the not wanting to see the not wanting to hear the thing about me that will like lazy oh my god but I'm so busy that's what I was saying (laughs) oh no I'm so busy and he's like yeah doing what so we're back to that question doing what yeah wow thanks for sharing that Hmm. So maybe like I can, I, I want to keep playing though. I sense that you're, so you said earlier, like I left this experience in the airport with a sense of urgency. Hmm. And then we have this sort of paradox of your, of your, of your embodied awareness, like of what resistance feels like and how people resist. And that you start banging your head up against a wall if you're pushing, pushing, pushing. So I'm hearing you kind of, talk about an invitation instead, like, Hey, I got something really, there's something really special over here. Come on over if you want to. And so I wonder as you hold this, this felt sense of urgency that you emerged with, and also you hold this felt sense that you can't make or, or force anyone to do anything. What's the, what emerges out of that from you? That's really cool. Um, yeah, you're right. We're sitting in that paradox and the best response that I have to that is the attitude of the Bodhisattva 
as described to me by one of my teachers, Bob Thurman, and the Bodhisattva is a being in, in Buddhism, a being like you or me, not a supernatural being, a person who takes a vow to delay their own enlightenment until all beings reach enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So it's a recognition on a very deep level of the need for service, the interconnectedness of all mm-hmm. beings, and the fact that we're not going to get there, any of us, until all of us are getting there. And the attitude of the Bodhisattva is as soon as possible and for as long as necessary. I will serve all beings until we achieve enlightenment. So as soon as possible Mm. is the urgency. Mm. Like it's a recognition of the intensity of the suffering. Mm. And for as long as necessary is the timeless aspect. I'll keep coming back. Like that is like, like the depth of my commitment is that I haven't, I have eternity. I have like, there's nothing else to do. (laughs) This is what needs to be done. So I love that. I, I repeat that to myself all the time because it really kind of resolves that paradox for me that it is, that's correct. There is an urgency and there's nothing else to be done. So it's just this, like, we're just doing it. That's the, like, we got lifetimes to do it. I'm going to walk mm-hmm. forever. Like I'm just walking, like I'm doing this thing. Um, and so that that's what I would offer. Mm. Yeah, I had a, a real lovely sort of, I felt my shoulders relax a little bit, my chest open up a bit of, oh, of course, of course, as soon as possible. And of course, as long as, as long as necessary. As long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. So as you sort of step into the moment that you're walking now, which is just for context, by the way, for folks listening in, it's like August 9th, I think today. So we're 2021, we're sort of navigating questions about what what autumn of 2021 is going to be like with the Delta variants and the pandemic. Uh, There's a lot of variability in our society around what's appropriate, what's safe, what's uh, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Like there's just a lot of intensity out there and, and our kind of collective and, as you walk through that, what is your, how are you holding the, as soon as it takes as long, you know, as, as soon as possible, as long as it takes, like what, how's that showing up in you in terms of your work or your connections or your writing? What's alive for you right now in that, in that moment? Mm. Well, you mentioned fall 2021. Um Yeah, I, I've been talking a lot, as you know, this is, um, I'm good friends with David Sauvage, who was on your yeah. show. Yeah, that um, was a fun one. Yeah, David is one of my best friends, fellow empath, and so the two of us spend a lot of time t- together. Um, we both live in the Hudson Valley, so, I mean, I'm going to see him today after after we're done talking, and what we often do is just meet in a small town grab a tea and walk and feel Mm. like we feel what's going on for each other. We feel into each other's experience. We help uh, each other be very precise about what's going on. And we feel into the collective um, 
we have long, long talks about what we're feeling as far as the collective goes. And so in these talks and walks over the last couple of months, we've been discussing and feeling together a lot of unease, like a really deep um, sense of um, instability and uh, confusion, fear, anxiety, etc. And uh, so recently we hosted a public conversation where we did this, where we felt into it together and we came to a term that described the essence of this feeling that feels pervasive right now, which is imminent disorientation. That there's, it's like, it's not like, it's not quite chaos yet. It's not like, like things are still recognizable, but there is a sense deep, deep, deep in the collective psyche and probably, you know, and many of us could be aware of this also that things are changing in ways that we can't predict and they definitely can't control. And we're not sure how bad it's going to get or how weird it's going to get. Let's not go to bad. Who knows? Um, who knows? <laughs> we could be rescued at the, you know, who knows? This fall could be magical. Like we want to, let's, let's hold that possibility open. But that is why this idea of imminent disorientation is a good description for me of where we're at um, at the moment. And so then the question is, how do you navigate disorientation? Like, what is the way? What is the way? What's the path mm. through that state? Because it is going to happen already, like the fragmentation of media, the fragmentation of uh I mean, the disillusion of the culture, like things are getting disorienting mm. Mm. already. And so what, yeah. where's the true North? Like where, how do you navigate when things are actually disorienting? Um, so we're back to that kind of like the, the, the initiatory journey. It's like in the, in the liminal state, you know, it's like there are tools, you know, there are tools for not drowning. And so I think that's, that's what, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I feel fall is going to be like. I, I mean, the first thing that occurs to me to say is um, letting go mm. is a big mm. piece of it. You know, like it's like clinging. It's like the clinging to any old ideas. The clinging is not going to serve, mm. you know? Um, I mean, it's, it's the, in, it's the impulse when you begin to feel disoriented, it's like, ah, like this oh, yeah. thing I know, I'm going to hold on to this for dear life. But that's not what's being asked of us. Ask, you know, that's not what what's what we're wanting to do right now. It's like you actually like think of the river. It's like I'm gonna or the riptide. Mm -hmm. a great example. Like mm -hmm. every kid gets this advice, right? It's like if you hey, you can swim in the ocean. It's beautiful. It's magnificent, and it's a little bit dangerous. Like you need to be alert. And if you get caught in the riptide, what do you do? Yeah, you just got to let it take you. You can't That's panic. It. You can't fight it. That's it. Until you get to, to stiller, more spacious waters. And if you're, yeah. Mm. Great. Yeah, really appreciating that metaphor right now. Uh, and maybe we can do something with this together. The 
like for some reason, I just keep hearing uh, Margaret Wheatley writes a lot about, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she sort of um, writes a lot about this idea of islands of sanity. Hmm. So, so she's, from what I understand, I don't know her personally, but she's kind of at a place where she's like, yeah, look, like the disorientation is, is not only imminent and we're not only in it, it's a sign of, of deeper collapse and breakdown to come. And so, you know, there are other people who are holding, like you said, we don't actually know. Margaret doesn't know. None of us know. There may, in fact, be things we can't see yet that are magical and wonderful. And probably just statistically, there's probably, and I don't know this yet in my body, but in my head, at least like, yeah, like there's probably a combination of both. There's going to be incredible beauty and incredible heartache and incredible sort of collapse. And then out of that collapse, new will emerge because that's how nature works. But anyway, she, she speaks to this, like, okay, the collapse is coming. What does it look like to allow for or invite or create islands of sanity that we might and then I'm thinking of your kind of riptide analogy, like, okay, we're getting pulled away. Either we're going to get pulled out into the open ocean and have to figure out how to swim, or maybe just maybe we might see some different shores or distant shores that are uh, become possible if we don't fight the current. And, uh, and I like, I wonder, I'm wondering for you, and you feel free to use Margaret's language or not, but but I'll use it. What's what are your senses of the islands of sanity or the the places that we might land on if we can can do that initial letting go and let the current take us take us a bit? Yeah, that's beautiful. She's a real pioneer, yeah. and uh, I appreciate you bringing her in. I hadn't heard that islands of sanity, but that 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 describes i i think of them as oases i was actually mm. inclined i was calling them the mm. oasis mm. like we need these oases um so the first thing that comes to me is each other that um you know when everything's falling apart what can we hold on to each other that's it mm. and the sad thing about all of this fragmentation and the driving apart of peoples through ideological, I mean, I really think it's ideological warfare, um, is that we stop turning towards each other mm. and we stop seeing each other as an oasis, you know? Um, and so the building of trust and the building of intimacy and the building of community knitting and weaving the threads together. I spend a lot of my time doing that. I know you do too. That's exactly what this, something like this podcast does. It's like a beacon, right? It's a signal. Mm. Mm. And mm. Um, this is what we have to turn to. Th this is the Island of sanity, mm. you know, we we are it for each other. So Yeah. And, and I maybe even just just to like double down on that, the like there's a way in which, and I'm really appreciating your reminder, there's a way in which the podcast is as much a beacon for myself as it is for anyone else who might see the light. Like it's just like, remember, Andy, there are, are incredible people out there who are not naive who are facing the hard truths as best as they're able and still inviting us towards, towards something beautiful. And remember, remember, you know, yeah. that sort of like, 
power of reminding ourselves that that we can hold on to each other is feels really important right now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the regulation of the nervous system, you know, the back to the embodiment piece, uh, you know, if I'm triggered or my system is overwhelmed, I'm in overdrive, like I can meditate and I do, and I can dance and I do yoga. Like I have all kinds of embodiment tools, but my favorite embodiment technique is to co-regulate with a trusted friend, Mm -hmm. um, you know, beloved, uh, my daughter, you know, like another human body really. And, uh, and that too, that too, if you think about it was really stripped, like was really taken from us during the pandemic. I mean, it's like, I feel it in my gut. It makes me really sick. Mm. because I didn't, the number of people that I have met and now, you know, it's been a few months that things have been more relaxed, but right when we first came out of the lockdown, I was meeting people who hadn't hugged another human being in a year. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's just not okay. Mm. Um, So Yeah. So I think Margaret, thank you very much. The islands of sanity. The first one that comes to mind for me is each other. Mm. 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 I mean, it sounds to me like what you and David do is, is a deep expression of that. He's my island of sanity. That is for (laughs) sure. (laughs) That's for sure. And I hope that he would say the same thing for me. Um, and it's real because things are kind of insane. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, we, we like we take for granted and take as normal many very insane things. <laughs> so actually when you get sane, you look around and you're like I don't know, it's a little bit of a let's go back to our trip it's a little bit of a trippy experience. And and I, I think it's worth mentioning on a show like this that reaches a lot of people at different stages of their journey, because one of the things I notice when people are coming to me and first starting the work, and I'm curious if you get this too, is like, um, it's very lonely. Yes. The process of waking up and coming yes. into integrity um, and healing And it does, um, you know, everything that you had sort of been taking as normal and taking for granted is suddenly called into question, but you look around and for a while, there's a way that your old world, like your, your inner world has shifted so much and the outer world isn't yet reflecting that. Yeah. And that's a deeply, uh, alienating experience for people. And so, It's good to have, and I always recommend this. And I think, you know, I am this person for a lot of people. It's like, you know, someone to call and be like, I, this is going to sound really weird, but I just had this crazy experience. I'm like, not weird, not weird at all. That's real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's real. And there's something there for you if you don't push it away because it feels weird or or socially strange, right? Mm-hmm. There's um, 
I think there's actually a really useful analogy that's emerging that that might be helpful as an invitation. You know, I used to, when I was uh, in my sort of earlier profession as an educator, I had the good fortune of working with, there's actually now two analogies emerging for me. I had, I had the good fortune of working with um, young people from urban backgrounds who for a variety of reasons were able to get financial support to go to college and, and often ended up at places that were culturally very different, you know, kind of dominant culture, mostly white places that had a lot of assumptions about how things worked and what you did and didn't do. And, and so these, you know, young people often were felt that sense of alienation kind of doubly so because they have now left their home and with a lot of encouragement in some ways to like, you know, go, go make something of yourself, go like take advantage of this. We believe in you. We love you. You know, you're an amazing, brilliant, you know, go. And then they get there and, and they're sort of being seen as just whatever stereotypes or prejudices or, or, or racist ideations that people might have consciously or not. Like, so this like young person is in this liminal experience and uh, they have a choice to make. And it's a really hard choice, maybe an impossible choice. Do I keep going? And if I do keep going, how do I do so in a way that, that allows me not to like uh, destroy myself at, and this is my language, at kind of the altar of this dominant idea of what success looks like? How do I do this in a way that allows me to keep growing, flourishing? Or do I, do I leave? Do I go back? Or is there perhaps some way that I can actually straddle these, these two worlds? Uh, and it ain't easy. And I think a lot of young people suffer quite a lot in that, in that liminal space. But those who find a way to integrate the two and stand kind of in both worlds and e even begin to talk to them have this sort of quality of being able to help, not that they, they need to, but the, like the other young people around them from privilege can start to learn from this young person about the way the world really works. And then the, 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 the family members that they come from and the, their peers who maybe didn't get that shot at a, at a funded education at a quote unquote prestigious university, like they have something to teach them about the way the world works. They kind of become these pioneers for intercultural, like what might be possible if we could actually change and shift things. And it's a really lonely place for them to be in. You yeah. Know? I mean, there's something fundamentally askew for me about what you just described, which is this quote unquote prestigious institutions. Yeah. Like F those institutions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. It's just like, we've got to stop prizing yeah. these sociopathic megalomaniacal, um, like my heart is racing. I get so worked up. Like we're so off base right now yeah. with what we see as success and what we value as a culture and where the power lies is so effed up. I'm not going to yeah. curse on your show. You can Andrew. curse. That's fine. No, it's no, fucked. it I'm is not. fucked up. I'm I'll do it. It is fucked up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I was going to keep it family friendly, but um, yeah, it really is. So asking people to sacrifice any part of themselves to participate in the charade that will ultimately land them the credentials that will get them approved in certain ways is just for me, like a just no go. It's just like, a, uh, uh, I opt out of that system. Yeah. 
And that doesn't mean that I've turned my back on success. It means that I'm choosing to value and measure success in a completely different way. And I would invite, you know, I, I think it's just, it's got to happen and it is happening. Thankfully that more and more people are doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just such a blind spot. It's such a blind spot and I see it. It's, it's still dominant. It's still, uh, you know, I'm a parent of an 11 year old Mm. Mm. and, uh, I never like, we don't talk about the Ivy leagues. I don't care where she gets her education. I actually, frankly, I'm like, I want you to go to India or, you know, Bhutan or whatever part of the world calls you or stay home and like, find yourself. Yeah. And like, we've just got to stop thinking that. I mean, yeah. So we're back to the systems now and the system is deeply, tragically, tragically. It's now clear that it's tragically flawed. So when are we going to stop with the charade that these prestigious institutions are know the way they don't, they're operating completely in the machinery of the system that is eating the planet. And that's the end of that. (laughs) Or maybe the beginning of something we can deepen into here, which is, I think what I was trying to, to, what I was trying to speak to, and I, is this recognition that when we understand something about the world that no one else understands or that not no one else, but that no one else we know understands, it can feel really alienating. And that at that moment of alienation, there is uh, a possibility for that, that person to become a, a humble teacher of others. If others are willing to listen and learn from them that right now our, our society for folks. And I, I'm trying to speak to folks who maybe haven't had the spiritual equivalent of what you described of like, Hey, I just had this weird, I was in the airport and I realized everyone was asleep. And it's like, is that weird? You know, it's like the young person, I would work with young people like, Hey, I went to this college and I realized like all of these supposedly successful, smart kids were like, spoiled and don't know shit about the world is that am i crazy no you're not crazy like so what so what do we do with these moments they there's a way in which we feel more isolated from quote-unquote reality but actually we're we're being invited into a deeper truth about reality and Mm -hmm. and that there's something really essential Mm -hmm. about that uh about like if you're going to move towards this work allow for the fact that you're likely going to feel alienated at some point. Cause you are suddenly going to be standing apart from all of the people who are believe still believe that this is the way it works. And what do you do with that? Is this, this really beautiful question? I'm over here now. How do, how do I, what do I do next? Right. And I, and that feels like a really scary question if you're feeling that alienation deeply, but also a really essential question if you're going to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of countless, you know, what comes to me too, is like the great books, you know, like, um, at that point in my journey, there was, um, the, I just read voraciously the accounts of people who had awakening experiences, experiences of coming into higher states of consciousness, experience, mystical experiences, you know, whatever you're into plant medicine journeys, like, you know, I mean, people 
that's one way that they've made the path more clear. You know, it's like mm. walking in the footsteps mm. of those who have walked before us. Mm. And it's like, you know, they send smoke signals. Mm. It's like, we're mm. over here. Look, here's what's happening. Like there is, you know, it's like the map is not the territory, but there are maps. Yeah. Um, and yeah. on my path, one of the things that I've been like, really committed to is learning the traditions like we're learning the great traditions and really being somewhat yeah being traditional about it um because i wanted to get the i wanted to really respect like get the maps um and not just you know riff like until I sort of like a jazz musician. It's like, I'm going to the conservatory. I'm learning musical theory. I'm learning and practicing my instrument. And then I'm going to play with more masters and I'm going to humbly learn from them and follow their lead. And then one day I'll get my solo, you know, I don't know mm. like playing with the metaphor, but mm. um, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know where we were, Andy. I sort of lost myself in that jazz metaphor. <laughs> it's okay. And I sense there's a part of you that was like really speaking for that sort of tragedy of our systems of education and, and, and culturation and all of the stuff that we submit people to in service of the more faster, better energy we were talking to before. But I think what I'm picking up that I feel really in touch with is on the other side of that alienation that you might experience if you have a, an unprovoked mystical experience or you start meditating regularly with a skillful teacher or you read a book that just kind of like somehow cracks through and shifts your how you see life around you, that on the other side of that alienation that there are actually many people, many beings who have for likely the entire history of, of like homo sapiens and maybe even before, like maybe there are even peoples of other kind of human identities, Neanderthals and homo habilis and this other stuff that we can identify in the, in the cultural records who have had those experiences too and have something to teach us about how we might take that into our life and into our work and into our families and our organizations that it, is lonely at first, but then on the other side, you get to meet either in person or in these records, incredible accounts of another way to move through the world that is beautiful. And the opposite of alienating is actually deeply, deeply connective and, and heart healing. That's beautiful. I, I totally agree. Totally mm -hmm. agree. This, uh, there's another world waiting on the other side of that river. If you can just get across. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Skylar, what I'm feeling moves to play with right now. And I don't, I don't feel like you have to play with this, but I want to sort of put it in the space is occasionally when I have guests on and I find that we've been really lovely evoking in a conversational way, these possibilities I often like to invite the guest, if you're up for it, to share something that like if someone were listening to this right now, they could actually have just maybe a taste, you know, a guided meditation or an embodied experience. Is there something as you touch into the territory we've covered in our conversation today, 
is there anything in this moment that you'd feel called to to guide me through that we might then share with others who, you know, just by hearing it, they might get to kind of get get some guidance from you into that felt sense of what it's like to dip a toe in the river or maybe even wade into the river a bit. Yeah. I mean, I think what I would offer is an experience of embodiment. Yeah. <laughs> because um, that would be another island of sanity. <laughs> yes. It would be the yeah. touchstone of the body, the body's wisdom, the body's grounding. Yeah. The body, earthiness of the body, the elemental aspect of the body. And um, so yeah, how how long does this typically I could do a couple few minutes? Yeah, let's try a few minutes. I think I, I have a hard stop in about 13 minutes. Okay. So yeah, let's just see, let's see where where we land and then. My instincts are that folks who have listened this far will be will, will be psyched to like kind of touch into like, okay, yeah, so what is it what does it feel like? <laughs> or what might it feel like? Okay, let's do it. Okay. And you can just like just teach to me. I'll I will be, you know, I will be your kind of participant and then trust that anyone else who's listened this far will be able to engage how they can. Got it. Okay. So go ahead and close your eyes if that feels comfortable, or you can just rest your gaze. And we're going to come into the body. And we'll use the breath as the gateway. So just start with a deepening of the breath, watching the inhale, and feeling that fresh air entering the body, and then the exhale, feeling it as a release. Just wondering at the miracle of the breath. It's always here for us. The first touchstone of the body. Now, taking the breath a little bit deeper into the belly. Maybe you just want to pick a spot somewhere between the navel and the root or there at the genitals, somewhere right in the middle there, a little bit back towards the spine and the back body. And take your breath in and down to that spot. We're just opening the lower belly.
Just breathing in and down into the lower belly, opening that space. Exhaling out anything, any tension in the body, anything blocking. And now on the exhale, just keep your awareness there in the lower belly. So you're inhaling in and down into the lower belly. And then on the exhale, keep your awareness at that open space in the belly. So now your awareness never leaves the lower belly. Continue to feel that space opening. And feel yourself sinking into the earth. Feel as if you're breathing with the earth herself. And we're finding the ground of our being here. Feeling gravity. And wherever you are in contact with the ground or your seat, Feel that support of the earth. Feel yourself moving energetically down towards her. And then feel her rising to meet you. Continuing to breathe as you open to the earth through your base. If your feet are on the ground, don't forget your feet. And so now we've got the ground. We're just going to bring some attention to the heart. And as you breathe in, feel the heart opening like the petals of a flower. Opening and softening the heart is opening to experience as it is. 
and it's got that solid ground it can count on. And then finally, we're going to move to the crown of the head and open to the higher light. And we're, we're grounded. We can feel our heart at the center of our being. And then we can open to the future, to possibility inspiration. You can bring that light in and down to the heart. You can bring that quality of grounding the base up into the heart. And we can just feel how the heart resolves all paradox. The heart is connected to the collective. The heart is beating with all hearts. And even if the water is choppy, or things feel disorienting, or you're getting lots of signals, or things start to speed up. Just feel your axis here. Feel your ground. Feel your openness to the higher frequencies. And the way the heart is the navigation device, the heart guides and leads. And it's the seat of courage too. So if you think of Moses parting the Red Seas or any peoples who have ever had to cross a river to freedom, they were definitely navigating with the heart. So just feeling that connection to the journey that has been made by many people through time and the courage that we all have access to when we are in touch with the heart. Okay. Spend a lot more time there if we wanted to, but just bring your hands to your heart. You can bring them to prayer. You can place them on the heart, bowing the head and just feeling some gratitude for the maps that have been laid down and for the courage and strength to walk. Keep walking.
Thank you, Skylar. Thank you, Andy, and to everyone listening. Yeah. Uh, maybe I want to speak to what I am in touch with right now as we wrap up, and then I'd love to invite you to do the same to close. I am in touch with the, in a, a really felt way, the beautiful invitation from your teacher about what might be possible when you can anchor in as soon as possible and as long as it takes. And that real felt sense of the lineage of countless people who have walked on this, like no doubt have walked right where I'm sitting, literally, and also have walked across this planet and the way that the planet holds us, regardless of whatever else might come. So that that is really, really feeling that and feeling the openness and possibility. Mm, that sounds really nice. And uh, yeah, real human beings like you and me, right? Just doing it. Just doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the great ones. Yeah, and still walking with us. Yeah. Yeah. I um I just also I think like that that first piece of the grounding for me without that. Mm-hmm. You know, it is that it is that connection to the earth and her patience, like who was here for all of those beings that walked. Yeah. <laughs> like she who birthed all witness, of those things. Right. I mean, that's like the beauty, like the Buddha in his moment of enlightenment, when Mara, the devil says to him, like, you know, you say you've been here all these countless lifetimes and you've helped all these beings. Who was the witness? Who can witness that? And he reaches down with his right hand and touches the earth. (laughs) And then that's it. She witnesses and she is holding us. So I just can't get enough. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope that that came through. It's hard, you know, it's hard in a, in a shorter uh, meditation because there's like a titration, you know, there's a process, especially for people who aren't used to going in the body. It can take time to sink, to like really touch those depths. And then also a lot comes up for people. You know, it's really uncomfortable in there at first. So typically when I'm teaching embodiment or taking people through a process, we're working for a long time and a number of weeks. Um, But I think hopefully you can get a taste. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even if you're listening and you're like, I couldn't feel my belly when I was breathing, you know, like just, I want to speak. That's okay. That's actually part of the journey. It's like, oh, I can't feel my belly. (laughs) <laughs> oh, isn't that interesting? Like, there's something here for me that I can't feel my belly. Or, oh, my mind starts racing in, in 20 different directions. I'm having all of these thoughts all of a sudden. I'm having memories I haven't remembered in years. I'm replaying an argument that I had with my partner last night. Like, whatever comes up. Oh. That just that, that's actually, that's the work. That's the gift that you can begin to notice that. So I really, yeah, I want to speak to whoever tried this with us, however you experienced it, whether 
or not you felt the fullness of the heart and and the belly and the openness of the crown that this journey is worth taking and i'm really appreciative skylar that you're out there helping people who are ready and hearing your invitation to take it andy thank you so much likewise thank you for the the platform and the work that you do to reach so many people i'm sure you're bringing them a lot of good medicine Hmm. appreciate it beautiful and skylar if people want to kind of check out more about what you're doing where should they go yeah my website is artofemergence.com so that's just www.artofemergence.com and um then uh also medium is a great place to find recent writing um, and you probably have to spell my name for this. <laughs> like wherever this is posted, you'll see how it's spelled, Skylar Brown. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Skylar, and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact on the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.